If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying. Is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted. Is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye. Come one, come all. You are listening to the Sixth Sense Report with Darnell Samuel and Joel Nikoloff. Today we'll be looking at the North American Free Trade Agreement. And you know what, Joel? It's funny. Uh, as I was like studying uh, for this episode, uh, it reminded me of uh, when I was in grade five on the playgrounds at Conestoga Public School. And uh, a friend of mine, I- I'm not going to put them on blast but we were trading back then we used to trade uh, marvel x-men cards and you know so we made the deal and you know i think it was uh i think it was like a wolverine for a cyclops right because i didn't you know you know you know you know how cards yeah, yeah. are sometimes you just don't i got a you just don't have it yeah i got a double so <laughs> we'll make the trade so i was cool with the trade he was cool with the trade you know we called no trade backs Stamped it, Canton stamp it, no black magic, no white magic. <laughs> Boom, it was official. So here I am, you know, at home thinking, you know, I'm on top of the world because now I got my Wolverine and my collection is somewhat complete. And then two twos, this guy's mom comes to my door asking for the card back. And I'm just like, what the? What's... So yeah, so she's saying, okay, look, like, yo, I want the card back. And I, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, here I am, like I'm in grade five and I'm like, but we said no trade backs, <laughs> yeah. right? No, can't, you know, no black magic, no white, not even, you know, not no, even a no mom. mama magic. Yeah, no mama magic. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, man, get your mama out of this, man. But uh, long story short, uh, she took the card back because, you know, she called my mom, uh, you know what I mean? And so I gave the card back and I got my card back. And the next day at school, when my boy came back to school, all his Marvel cards had his name on it. Right? So <laughs> at that, that point. That sucks. Right. So <laughs> at that point, nobody was doing business with him, right? Yeah. Unless unless Wolverine signed it himself. <laughs> like, we ain't messing with that dude. So it was it was one of those points. I was just like, yo, like even from when we were little kids, we understand free trade. Well, I think what you're saying, we understand voluntary exchange. Voluntary exchange right um where uh both parties are coming out with what they wanted from it because if he didn't want to do the deal then he wouldn't have done the deal does that make sense Yeah, and assuming he's your age you're not taking advantage of the guy he's not you know he's not trying to be you know he's looking out for his own best interest right but then we have an outside hand coming in on intervention and i'm thinking like government coming in on that trade and, and how it affects the way, um, yeah, we do, we do business. Yeah. I think it's a fair point. I mean, obviously it's not generally speaking, it's not like the government comes in and says undo your trade or undo your sale. Um, but to some extent there, there's a pretty decent analogy that, that in the simplest terms of someone's intervening Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and that intervention changes the, the way things work. Right. Right. So, so now when we look at um, NAFTA, we see that it was created uh, to create unity between America, U.S., 
in Mexico in regards to creating a free trade zone uh, where they can uh, trade freely uh, without hindrances of tariffs. Am I right? Um, well, I mean, sort of, maybe, kind of, mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would say that, that calling it a free trade agreement is a bit of a, a misnomer or, or doublespeak okay. um, because the reality is it's a trade agreement. And in some scenarios, there's free trade. And by that, to your point, there's no um, tariffs. Uh, and generally speaking... Oh, sorry. And a tariff a tariff is a tax. And the, the tax is put there to create an incentive um, for the exporter or, or the importer. Uh, well, it's more of a disincentive. Or right? a disincentive. So um, for the importer. And generally speaking, the country... I mean, you, I'm not going to say you won't find exceptions, but generally speaking, the, the way tariffs work is the importing country will add additional price on top or add additional fees on top in order to, to some extent, level the playing field, right? So if I'm in Canada and I produce a particular good like shampoo and I suck at it and the world price for that same shampoo is a dollar cheaper, the way that the Canadian government can protect me is to charge an import tariff. And so now Canadian producers are on the same level playing field as the rest of the world. But the question is, is that really a good thing? So, I mean, in general, free trade opens up, and, and we'll definitely get into whether that's a good thing or not later. Mm-hmm. But the, this agreement really, well, that's why I said it's a trade agreement, laid out the conditions. You know, where, what, what markets are we're allowing all countries access to each other? And where mm-hmm. do we agree not to, to put taxes or import tariffs? Um, but there are other things, too, that act as similar to a tariff right but it's it's weird because if if it's if it's called the north american free trade agreement and it's not about free trade what is it like like i mean just for the average person that's listening what is it necessarily about then uh well i mean if you were to go look at some particular scenarios yeah sure it's absolutely about free trade okay so no tariffs in this area you're not allowed to subsidize your in your country, we're not allowed to subsidize because uh, that was kind of my point where that there are some other ways that the government can intervene, mm-hmm. right? So if I tell all pig farmers that they get a, you know, a certain amount of bursary every year, well, now they can compete on the world market at a lower cost because mm-hmm. they get free money. Right. But, but why, would, why would the government intervene just in essence? Um, I mean, that's a pretty deep question i mean because to some extent you could be intervening with an industry that's dying because in the world they're competing against people who are doing it better than them so you're like hey we don't want you to be out of work vote for our party and we're going to give you a bursary or a a subsidy Mm -hmm. because we think you are an important part of the canadian culture and so before the nafta went into place um there was a lot of uh import tariffs in mexico Mm -hmm. right so that that's actually where the biggest you know, a lot of the tariffs in Mexico were like chopped in half or, or really made almost non-existent. So in that sense, that's where the whole free trade side of things do, did exist. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for example, in Canada, the U.S. has like no access to our, our dairy industry, no access to our poultry industry. Right, right. Canadian culture is like a protected, you know, so essentially the Canadian government has the CIBC or sorry, CBC. And, and their broadcasting is competing in a very peculiar way, even within Canada. Right, like CBC essentially has super low costs that allows them to sell advertising cheaper than other people. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these are all things that that come into play. That's why I say it's a trade agreement because there's, I mean, 
there's some stuff in here that are about free trade, but I mean, there's other stuff that's completely unrelated to trade or sorry, free trade, but that are important, right? Some of it's just conflict resolution, mm -hmm. right? So that's why I say it's a trade agreement. True free trade would be like a one-liner, no tariffs, signed, 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 done. Okay. That's a true free trade agreement. It's a okay. one pager. Everyone signs on the dotted okay. line and we're good. Okay. So I guess there's like red tape. Yeah. It's a whole bunch of red tape. I mean, if you look at some of the things that I don't know, you know, where this is at right now, but some of the things that Canada was saying they wanted in the new free trade agreement has to do around environmental standards or gender issues or, you know, all these different, oh, we want other countries to uphold these social political issues okay. in order to compete. Okay. So, so when, when, when the, when the trade agreement was first being enacted, the concern from a lot of people was uh, jobs and where how jobs are going to move from uh, one country to another based on um, what 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 where they would find cheaper labor. Um, so, what would you say in regards to that? Um, I I would say that there's a valid concern, but it's a very temporally narrow perspective, right? So, my when you look at you know trade in general. Um, historically, you know, we've kind of got to this point where recognizing trade is mutually beneficial. Right. Um, and, and that's based on this idea that specialization within a country leads both countries to be better off. Right. Okay. Um, it's, it was basically, it's the, uh, David Ricardo had this in the Economist, the Economist, David Ricardo, mm -hmm. in the early 1800s, had a comparative advantage theory of trade, which mm -hmm. contrasts with the idea of absolute advantage. So historically, people had this perspective that the only person who benefits in trade is the one who can produce more efficiently. Mm -hmm. But you have a country that can produce more. And David Ricardo's theory, and you know, I could give you a numbers example, but trying to listen to it without looking at the numbers and without really walking through it mm -hmm. um, is, is hard to, to comprehend. So I won't get into it, but you can, I mean, you can probably find, I think you can find a, an example of it on, on Wikipedia. Right. And, um, you know, give us a shout if you have any questions and we'll try and help you walk you through it. But the idea is that comparative advantage is more about relative costs. So if it's about with me in a country, I might be able to produce something better than everybody else, but I might be even better at produce. Let's use tables and chairs as an example. Right. Right. So you and me, let's, let's say you're better at everything than me. Okay. So you can produce in one day, 40 chairs or 10 tables, and I can produce five chairs or five tables. So it's about relative costs for you. One table costs you four chairs, mm. but for me, one table costs me one chair and okay. so in essence tables cost more for you than they cost me for me okay but on an absolute advantage you're way better right so the fact that if we walk through if i came up with a numbers example and walk through it i would be able to demonstrate that by you producing chairs and me producing tables mm -hmm. because tables are relatively less expensive mm -hmm. Uh, we both would be better off in right. the long run. Right. So, so what you're saying is that uh, the economy works um, in regards to uh, the most efficient sectors 
will get the work. So even like with me, but it's relative efficiency when you're talking about trade. Right, right, right. So even for me, um, you're saying having the comparative advantage. Um, that's that's good for me, and it's good for you. Well, because, I have a comparative advantage too. Right, right, right. But but the key thing is that I'm specializing in the thing that I do best. That you have a comparative advantage, and I specialize in the thing that I have the comparative advantage in. Okay, okay. So then, so then, when it comes to work, so when it comes to work, is the problem is if we if you were producing both tables and chairs, and I was producing tables and chairs, mm -hmm. and now you're going to produce one, and I'm only going to produce one, mm -hmm. the people that were producing the other one in our country get screwed mm -hmm. temporarily, in the sense how, how, that wait, what do you mean? How did they get screwed? Well. I no longer can produce what I used to produce. I have to do something different. Mm -hmm. And so the question becomes, is the short-term pain of having to transition out of an industry, hey, maybe I was the manager of a facility that's now no longer in this country. Well, I have to take my transferable skills, go and sell myself to somebody else. Maybe I'm going to be out of work for a year. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm going to be out of work for six months. Right. Depends on my ability to sell myself. It depends on a whole bunch of factors. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing is like, in the long run, your country is going to produce more. My country is going to produce more. We're all going to have more stuff mm -hmm. and at a lower cost. Right. So the problem is we get stuck in this, as I said, narrow temporal perspective of free trade is going to hurt people. But in the long term, what's the, is it actually beneficial? And literally, there's no economist who won't say that it's going to improve prices. What they end up doing is talking about depends on what they're trying to sell or what politician is trying to, to where they want to garner their perspective. Right. Right. So like for the average guy who, who's, who's listening and, and, and when you turn on the TV or you're reading the newspaper, the, the main concern that people are having is, okay, well, this sector lost this amount of jobs or this job went here. So what would put them best, more at ease or or better understanding uh the law the unemployment or, or a, a job sector s shutting down and people being unemployed is that necessarily um a bad thing well and i would say if you look at examples outside of trade right so let's not look at this trade example and say oh is this going to be inherently a bad thing mm -hmm. let's look in general do the pe what what we used to do the amount of labor it took to farm a hundred years ago versus today. Right. Are we going to say that we're worse off collectively because there's less people who have to man a farm? Right. Right. So yeah, because so farmers went unemployed, right? <laughs> because well, of technology. Military, because of technology. So they're unemployed, but our lives are better. So they end up having to take their time and efforts and, and you know, reallocate into a different sector. Mm -hmm. So... What I'm saying is that the government or, or politicians are trying to sell it to you like, oh, we don't want to reallocate resources. But reallocation of resources is fundamental for economic growth. Mm. Taking it from poor allocations or mm -hmm. inefficient allocations mm -hmm. and moving resources into more efficient allocations. Right. Okay. But, and, then, and then you were talking about like the, this, this, the short-term pain. Is that transition. Ah, but there's pain. Right. So, so, okay. Just even just for like the average person, you're like, okay, well, there's going to be pain in the process in regards to an economy moving efficiently in regards to people losing jobs. Cause that, you know, that that's livelihood for people. That's, that's yeah. how we pay our rent. Well, and I mean, that's why we have insurance. I mean, mm -hmm. there's going to be pain when your house burns down. Mm -hmm. So why do you get the higher insurance? Cause my house might burn down. Mm -hmm. Right. Why do I get, you know, non-government scenario where we have employment insurance this mm -hmm. is why you buy employment insurance mm -hmm. because you know the likelihood that your sector is going to 
just exist in perpetuity for infinity and beyond. Oh, so, sorry, sorry. Per, 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 like just perpa. perpetually oh, okay. move, going, just, you know, right. it's like perpetual okay. motion. Okay, so, yeah, so all right. just on, on and on into infinity. All right. right? The, the probability that your job is going to be that way is unlikely. Anyone who thinks that their job is never going to change, whether mm -hmm. it's change the point that it's automated or mm -hmm. change the point where they're going to do something slightly different. Mm -hmm. Whether I get more tools, now I can be more productive. Oh, okay, okay. So then maybe, so then technically even just with the loss of jobs and unemployment isn't necessarily a cause not nafta isn't necessarily the cause but it's just it's just the result of an economy moving efficiently um well i mean when you say nafta i'm like you're more so you know trade right, right. so so trade can cause you know it's like perfect but no no what i'm saying is that nafta is not necessarily the problem it's just the way things work um nafta is just the way that governments have agreed in order to allow trade. Right. Right. That's why I said it's a trade agreement. Right. Because a free trade agreement is literally, yeah, we're not going to tax anything from your country coming mm -hmm. to ours. Mm -hmm. Vice versa. Mm -hmm. Sign on the dotted line. Right. Does that mean that Canadian broadcasting channel is going to have to make sure their quality of product is top notch in order to may be able to produce Canadian content that's going to make it on the networks? Okay. Yes. Does that mean that we're going to have less Canadian specific work? Probably, but that's only if it's of lower quality. Mm -hmm. If it's of higher quality, we're actually going to get more, mm -hmm. right? And we, we would force people, we, if anything, you could have Americans coming here and producing Canadian content, right? which literally is almost impossible unless you have the appropriate organizational structure, okay. right? Like now you got to be a Canadian, you got to meet certain standards, otherwise you're violating NAFTA. Right, 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 right. So then, okay, in, in, and part of it is... A lot of these policies or red tape is is made to help Canadians as a whole, just like you know Trump is fighting for his people, right? So is it efficient? Well, that's what you're told. Well, right, right, but but essentially we're looking at uh, money staying within Canada. Well, I mean, I would say that's a slightly different piece of it. I mean, you're, to some extent, that's Trump's, you know, what I would call, you know, the term he's been using or, or a term that I would use to describe what he's been talking about is economic nationalism. Okay. Um, which, which is, you know, an old story just coming up with a new name. Mm -hmm. um, so if you look into um, something called mercantilism, it's from the late 17th, well, essentially becomes... Um, Destroyed by by what I was talking about before, which was by Adam uh, Smith's work. Well, he addresses them as well, mm -hmm. but but also comparative advantage really starts to to destroy it because the mercantilist view was a type. And this is Wikipedia definition. Literally, if you right. hear, you'll think exactly along the lines of what Trump's been touting, which is mercantilism was a type of national economic policy designed to maximize the trade, and by that I would say exports of a nation. And especially to maximize the accumulation of gold and silver. Now, obviously, that was money at the time of mercantilism. Mm -hmm. So just think of that as maximize the accumulation of money within our system. Mm -hmm. So the, fir the one of the best attacks of this is uh, something from David Hume, who was an economist, philosopher. If, you're, if you ever took philosophy, you probably heard a whole bunch about him. But right. you know, back in those days, philosophers were experts in almost everything. Mm -hmm. Now we have so much specialization that doesn't happen. But anyways, um, he had a, 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 an argument called the specie flow, sorry, price specie flow mechanism that okay. really 
took the logical trains of thought of this concept of acquiring more money and what did that actually do? Right. And, and what he really was showing was that, well, when, as you acquire more money in your system, assuming nothing else changes, your prices have to change in order because prices are actually relative to the flow of money. Right. Right. In economics, we use the terms nominal prices and real prices. So nominal prices would change, but the real price doesn't. Mm-hmm. When you have an accumulation of money, it's like when the government prints off money to sub, you know, to pay for their government debt. Well, what happens? Generally speaking, prices go up. Why? Not because things become more valuable. The real price didn't change. Right, it but more money put the out. The nominal right. price changed. So David Hume's argument was really just showing that, and it's basically widely accepted: accumulating money into your country without actually having activity growth is meaningless. Doesn't mm. doesn't do anything. Mm. And so. I mean, my simple, one of my simpler responses to people who are like, oh, we need to keep the money within our country. First is, no, I want to keep the money in my pocket. Right. Right. So if that's my attitude, let me ask you, when you operate in life, do you say, I want to keep money in my house? Are you willing to trade with your neighbor or some guy down the street because it's more efficient to pay him to be a plumber? than it is to ask your husband or your wife to try to fix the toilet. Right. You would outsource. You'd outsource. Right. So if if this argument of let's keep the money within the country can't be narrowed down to another levels of even my household and go, wait a second, logically for my house, this doesn't work. Right. Why does why do I create these arbitrary walls that I just draw on a map and say, mm-hmm. oh, it's gonna work for this. Right. So even like when we look at globalization and being able to have the things that we have and being able to uh, get products at better prices and just get efficient work because sometimes things aren't done properly in-house. So you have to go out-house to get it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I mean, the globalization conversation is a really interesting one because mm-hmm. you get into so many nuances around laws. Right. Right. right and of course. That, and, and that's where, you know, it's not so simple. Um, you know, even the example we shared about tables and chairs. Okay, now you have to add 500 million different products. And I would say the concepts are still true, but it gets messier. Mm-hmm. It's, it's way less precise than the simple example of two product and two people trading. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. No, no, it's very interesting. So, so is free trade a good thing? I mean, my answer is universally yes in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, as I said, it's going to cause short-term pain, right? In Canada, perfect examples are dairy farmers, mm-hmm. right? They literally, you, you can't get milk outside, from outside of Canada. Like we, we have advertising that tells us milk from Canadian farmers. Yeah, because that's all you're allowed to buy. Right. Predominantly, like think of a go to the grocery store. How hard is it to find cheese from another province? Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that. It's it's essentially like a NAFTA internally, where we've essentially not allowed we we have very stringent rules on on trade within Canada. Right. Technically, it's illegal for you to bring beer between states or between provinces. Sorry. Okay. Well, within within certain limits. Right. Yeah. Because I was just looking at that, and yeah, we don't have free trade among pri- pro- even provinces. No. And it's one of those things that, that have kind of, well, some say have hindered us um, economically because in the U.S. they don't have that um, among states, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's very interesting when you look at it and, and try to unpack it, even when you look at um, the government involved in the dairy industry, right? Uh, 
okay, let's I'm gonna throw out a term and define it. Okay. Crony capitalism. So crony capitalism as I would as I understand it best defined is it is a company's relationship with government that is fundamental to their success. Is that what we see with dairy farmers or the dairy industry? Um, it's hard to say. Or is that another Be, episode? I, well, I mean, it's, <laughs> I would say the easier way of looking at that, uh, you know, most people's criticism, like, because when I, I don't normally apply it in that way. Would I say it's true? Yes, because dairy farmers have a fundamental relationship with government such that the, they literally have a dairy board mm -hmm. or they have a, you know, we have the same thing, agricultural board mm -hmm. where they set prices, mm -hmm. right? And so that makes sure that the farmers make money, right? So yes, the question is, the, the reason why I said it's not so simple is because let's say we took away the government intervention. Mm -hmm. Who would survive? I have no idea because we're talking about a completely different scenario. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that 50% of Canadian dairy farmers go bankrupt because they're inefficient? compared to the guys that are barely across the border. Which is a reflection of uh, the free market, free trade minus government intervention in an economy yeah. working more efficiently when you have competition uh, within that sector, right? Yeah, technically, I would say like maybe all these dairy farms turn into, you know, marijuana farms when the laws change. Mm -hmm. Like, who knows? Yeah, because right. it, it, it's, it's, it's more efficient for them... Um, Business-wise. Well, and, and, and I mean, in, I don't know the nuances. If it, of, if it would be the case. Yeah. I don't know the nuances of the marijuana industry, but yeah, the reason, the there's a reason why it's called weed is because mm -hmm. it can grow anywhere. Right. So if you look at Canada's climate, mm -hmm. potentially our ability to grow marijuana might be more efficient than to have cattle because we have to worry about the winter killing them where it's less likely to kill. And mm -hmm. again, I'm just kind of brainstorming the idea. Yeah. But the point is really around, you know, for me, like you were talking about crony capitalism, I usually, the reason why I love that term and why I think it's really important to put that out there. It's a lot, lot less related to the NAFTA topic, but a lot of people's criticism of capitalism mm -hmm. is really rooted in a crony capitalist scenario. Right. Okay. And it's just, yeah, you're just seeing a bad example of it. So, and they're blaming the free market. Right. They're right. like, oh, free market failed. Well, right. No. That's not the free market. Right. <laughs> it's misunderstanding. So, yeah. Okay. What would you, if you were like, cause you know, you were um, a teacher assistant um, back in school. How would you, what would you want to leave your um, students with in regards to understanding NAFTA and putting them at ease prior to the exam? I mean, from an economics perspective, I mean, it would be very much, I mean, I would use mathematical examples. Um, again, I'm not, I don't, I don't like using math to say, okay, here, therefore it's, you know, very stringent but it, it it shows the change right like the if you were to look at the the numbers hey guess what without trade here's our maximum with trade here's our new maximum and it's higher and it's better for both mm -hmm. right so from a from an economics problem solving scenario i'd want to show like if you get an answer to a question that says the you know free trade caused the economies to to shrink rather than grow you did the question wrong when the other way, though, in terms of the way you worded the question, you're getting into a poli sci type of question, not so much of an economics question, right? Mm -hmm. Because you get the dilemma is that you're you're getting into the side of the conversation around policy and what 
is the best policy for this country. And I would say from a purely economics perspective, in the long term, I don't care that anyone else charges tariffs on my goods going to their country. I want everything coming in here for free, like with no tariffs, free trade, 100%. Mm-hmm. Because it's going to make the, the cost of living in my country cheaper. Right, right, right. No, 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 that, that's good. Because even, yeah, when I'm looking at it in regards to from an employment standpoint, you know, you're realizing that the economy is not a piece of pie that just easily uh, gets divvied up and that there's not a zero sum amount of jobs, meaning like, okay, well, there's only a certain amount of jobs. So if a person's unemployed, they will never find another job. Well, no, you'll find another job. It just might not be in a sector that you like. Um, and that's life. Well, or, I mean, it should likely be able to find something you like. It just might not be in what you were before. Right. You have to figure out what your transferable skills are. And, and, and yeah, but not about, I'm, I'm talking about the person who doesn't yeah, yeah. have transferable skills and that's so how it is sometimes, but yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, at that point. Um, so again, for the listener, we want to leave this episode for you as the basics of NAFTA, because we definitely will come back to this issue again. Uh, Right, yeah. This, yeah, it's going to come up again in the news, and we'll be able to touch on it. So this will be one of those reference point episodes, right? So yeah, yeah. This is my this is my two cents on the agreement. Okay, and that's uh, my two cents. And uh, let's hear your two cents. Hit us up. But you heard me. Does that make sense?